All right. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm just noticing all these people I haven't seen in a long time. Amazing. <laughs> Let's pray, friends. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we thank you. Uh, it's amazing that, Lord, out of all the people, Lord, it could have been someone else. Uh, but, Lord, you found me. Uh, and not only that, Lord, you showed yourself to me. And, Lord, I want to know why. I want my life uh, to count, Lord Jesus, and let it be uh, to represent Jesus. Let it be to share Jesus Christ with the world. Uh, and so teach us from the life of uh, Apostle Paul how we can, Lord, live uh, for the glory of Jesus and how we can make much of Jesus Christ in our lives. <clears throat> because it is true, your plan was simple, Lord, to bless us so that we may be a blessing to all the nations. Lord, you have shown us the light of the world so that each one of us can be the light of the world. Lord, if there is any person that is so crucial to this world right now in this time, it is myself and my brother, my sister to my right, to my left, and to, to, to sitting behind me in this place and all around the world who proclaim Jesus as Lord. And so, God, I'm asking you, Lord, that you open up the heavens. Uh, actually, it's already open, Lord God, but pour out. Open any, any clear, clear the airs all around us so that the power of God, the glory of God may, Lord God, be tangible in our lives. Manifest Jesus in each and every one of us. In your name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Wow. Friends, uh, gosh, are we already at the end of August 2022, right? Okay. Good, good. Wow, I cannot believe. And as you guys know, um, at any moment, I may be rushing to the hospital uh, because my wife is uh, ready to go. She's ready to just, you know, go for the goal, you know, and bring that baby out, right? So, uh, if I'm not here, uh, just pray for me. I'll be keeping you guys updated on the cacao if anything happens. But also uh, pray for uh, our dear brother, Danny Shin and Connie, who are at the same boat right now, uh, about to give birth. Uh, but more exciting thing than all of that, I think, is discovering Jesus uh, as we go through the New Testament together. So here is 1 Timothy. We're almost at the end of New Testament. And uh, I titled this uh, sermon, I titled the book uh, called The Handbook. The handbook, because this is uh, Paul's uh, near the end of his life. He's about 60 years old now. He met Jesus, that road to Damascus experience that Paul had, he was 30, okay? And so for the last 30 years, he has been following Jesus. And this is the last of the third, well, second to the last of these 13 books that we have as the Bible, okay? So this is Paul at the, near the end of his life with all the wisdom that he has to offer. 1 Timothy was written in 64 A.D. Jesus Christ obviously uh, was uh, resurrected, went to heaven in 33 A.D. And then 60, about 70 A.D. is the next book for next week, which is his last book, 2 Timothy. And so, <clears throat> um, you know, the reason why Timothy is the title of this book is because as the Apostle Paul went around, you've seen all the map already of the many uh, cities and countries that he went around preaching the gospel, raising churches. Uh, there obviously must have been thousands of people he met. Uh, but out of that, he chose a few of them to really be the people he trusts and that he would pass his mantle on, right? And so Timothy was the few people that Paul trusted his churches, uh, including Timothy with Silas and Titus. For example, I don't know if you've ever uh, noticed, but as you read the uh, books in the Bible, New Testament, 
for example, 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Paul says this is a letter from Paul, Timothy, and Silas, or Paul along with Timothy. So Paul was uh, letting everybody know Timothy is the person, if I'm able to pass away, he's going to take up the next in line. And he called him like a son. And, and it's not a physical son, but it's like his son. He, he invested his life in Tim, uh, Timothy like a son. He, Timothy was around 30 years old at this time. So, uh, you know, so Paul is now going about to hand over his ministry to young Timothy. Uh, he's passing the baton. So this letter is unique because most of the other letters Paul wrote, he wrote to a church like us. And he commanded whoever received the letter to read the letter to the entire people. But this is like an email, right? This is like his personal DM, right? This is uh, 1 Timothy is basically Paul on his Instagram saying, Timothy, these might be my last words. Listen to me. And, and it was him pouring out his honest self. So it's a very personal, uh, very honest book. Uh, and this is very important because um, Timothy, you could say, is like, the, is like the ideal pastor. You know, if Paul was an apostle, uh, Timothy was the one that Paul raised up and said, you are going to be now in charge of the churches that I planted. So people all over the, uh, throughout the Christian history, we've looked at First and Second Timothy to be like the handbook, the manual on how to be a pastor and how to lead a church. How do you establish order and leadership in the church? Well, Paul told Timothy how it's done. So instead of going through all the details, you know, as I go through every book, it's sometimes so hard. There's so much I want to talk about. In fact, when I'm done with the whole Bible and go to Revelation, we're going to hit some books and study them deeply. Uh, but today I want to help us see in 1 Timothy not just uh, what Paul says, not just what Paul says, do this or don't do that, the, the rules and regulations. But I want to help us understand who is Paul. Because like I said, in the other books that Paul had, it was about instructions for everybody, dealing with issues, right? It was about you know, sin in the church. It was about people who were believing the wrong thing, deceitful messages from uh, who were leaders who were liars. There was dissension going on. People were fighting each other. All of these problems. But this, in 1 Timothy, I think Paul shows a part about to, to, to Timothy. Paul shows Timothy who he really is. So this is what we find out in our passage today. Can you go to the next slide? It says in this passage, ooh, where did it go? We got to pray for this iPad, guys. In Jesus' name, work. Ah, ah, Word is updating. That's why. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe it's auto-updating right now. Okay, let's just read that right now. Okay. <laughs> See, iPad, not trustworthy. Word of God, trustworthy. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Okay. This is Paul, again, one of the last things that he tells his right-hand person. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. Isn't that a great news? Amen? He is amazing. He is amazing. And then Paul says, of whom I am the worst. But for, the, for that very reason of Jesus coming into the world to save sinners, I, the worst of sinners, will show mercy so that in me, again, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. 
That's really awesome. He kind of puts, he, he, he emphasizes, of course, the whole book is important, but Paul is saying, focus on this. If I'm about to teach you who Jesus Christ is, if Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and then Paul says, but this is not just, a, just an idea, but he's saying that he chose me, the worst of sinners, because he wants to choose you to, through your life, through your sin, through your brokenness, through your Whoever you really are, he wants to display what his mercy, his immense patience for all as an example to follow. What is interesting is this. If I were Paul writing kind of my memoir, right, this is kind of like Paul's memoir. And, you know, obviously, as Paul was saying, Paul knew the Lord was kind of giving him a hint that, Paul, you're about to go. You're about to uh, you're about to, uh, your life is coming to an end, right? If I'm, if I'm going to tell my, my person who is looking up to me, the one I'm about to trust everything, my ministry to, would I tell him I am the worst? Would I tell him I am the worst of sinners? What if I came to you this morning and I told you guys, friends, man, I had a rough week, guys. I'm the worst of sinners. How many of you guys would start, like, leaving the sanctuary? We, he's the worst of sinners, not like just a bad sinner, but the worst of sinners. He says it twice, right? Because then you're like, oh, my gosh, did Pastor England kill somebody? Did he start World War III? What happened, you know? So it is very interesting why Paul would say such a thing. Because is he saying to P Timothy, Timothy, I am the worst of sinners, so stop following me. I failed. So whatever I told you, just don't, don't do it. It doesn't make sense why he would say such a thing. So I want us to focus why did he say this? Because it's not inspirational, right? This is not how you inspire people. Hey, guys, I'm the worst. So listen to what I have to say, right? If you're in a business, uh, if you're in a business like conference, guys, I, I am bankrupt. But listen to what I have to say, right? But there is a reason why he said it. And, and, you know, for, again, this is a personal letter between Paul and Timothy. So Timothy knew what he was saying. And today I want to help us understand, get to know who Paul is. Because Paul was confident enough to say this. He was saying, follow me. He's saying, I lived my life to the, my best so that I could show you exactly who Jesus is, and you can do the same. Just follow me. So this, I want to start by explaining to you guys what does he mean by I am the worst of sinners, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you guys what he's not saying by this and what he is saying. First of all, we don't take it literally, right? It doesn't mean that Paul couldn't find any worse sinner. I'm sure there was a lot of people who did a lot more worse things than he did. So what is Paul not saying? Number one is this. We don't have to be afraid and, and be questioning why he confessed that he's the worst of sinners. He is not having a behavioral issue. This is not Paul saying, you know what, Timothy, I really tried hard. I really tried to do what's right, and I kept on failing. I kept on doing what's bad. I kept on punching the purple. I kept on stealing. I kept on, you know, sleeping around. I kept on doing all these things. I kept on lying. Paul is not saying I am the worst of sinners in terms of behavior. In fact, we know that his behavior was the complete opposite. People were amazed at how humble he was. People were amazed at how loving he was. People were amazed at what a servant he was, that he would risk his own life for his sake, no, for the people that he loved. They knew Paul was a man of God. So behavior issue is not what he's saying by I'm the worst of sinners. Second thing he's not saying is that he's not having an identity issue. Paul is not saying, you know, I believe in Jesus. I believe that I died with Christ, so now I'm a child of God. He's the one that said, 
if I'm crucified with Christ, it's no longer me living, but it's Christ living in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in Christ. He's the one that said, once you believe in Christ, from that very moment, you're already seated in heavenly places. He's the one that says, who you are is hidden in Christ. Christ is in you, and you're in Christ. He's the one who said, the old is gone, the new is here, you're a new creation. He said, you're a child of God, you're free. And he said this, your old self was crucified with him. And your body of sin is dead, is is done away with. And you're no longer slave to sin, but you're free from sin. That sounds, pretty much sounds like you're not a sinner. But what is he saying? Did he all of a sudden realize, oops, I thought that was true, but actually I'm a sinner. Which is it? Are you a sinner, Paul, or are you not a sinner? It may be hard to understand because it's something that we all have to deal with every time. We ask ourselves the question, Am I really a child of God or am I still a sinner and a slave to sin? The reality is this. You are both. But only by faith you are free of sin. What that means is this. God, even though who you are in your faith in Jesus Christ, you are perfect. You're not a sinner. You're a saint. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are just like Jesus right now. You are beautiful. Tell them, you're just like Jesus in Christ, okay, by faith, right? It's a gift. God, Jesus, when he died on the cross and he was resurrected, the gift that you got was a new identity. So it is true. You're not a sinner. But what God has allowed until he comes back and this body that was part of the fallen nature, one day this body that is broken, that is prone to sin, that is prone to be tempted, will be done away. But until Jesus returns, I'm still going to live with the old me. Just like when God created the Adam, the Garden of Eden, he didn't leave only one choice. He left two choices, right? He left the choice of obeying God and the choice of disobeying God and, and sinning. So even though you and I are perfect right now in Christ, we're righteous. We're the righteousness of God. We are the body of Christ. I am a child of God. I am one with God. At the same time, we have an option to choose every day to say, oh, but I remember my old sinful nature. I would like to uh, get into this one today. Because the Lord has allowed us. So you could choose, right? You're free in Christ. You're free to live in Christ or you're free to live in sin. Just because you're Christian doesn't mean sin disappeared and now you're living in perfect world and temptation is like, where is temptation? No. In fact, as a Christian, now the darkness is darker, right? But you have a, you have a choice. You're free. So Paul is not saying, you know what? He's not confessing to Timothy, Timothy, I sinned. I can't get over these things. In fact, if as a leader or a pastor you have a sin, you know, you have to step down for some time and let the Lord build you up and heal you so you could come back with a, with a glorifying Jesus Christ. Or the Lord himself, if you have unrepentant sin, he will remove you, right? But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is confident that he is in the right place. He's confident that he's pleasing God. So let's go into talking about then what is Paul saying? saying I am the worst of sinners and can I too say that I'm the worst of sinners because I was thinking this if he's the worst of sinners what am I I'm probably like Lucifer himself right because how can you get worse than a sinner is like the one who caused sin right is that all we are just sons of devils and just lost no there is a beautiful picture of who Paul is that he is calling us to imitate so let's look at what he is saying at this time by the way, if you have any question on this, would love to chat with you about it. It's such an important thing. 
So again, just before I go, I, I want you to understand. Just because you are struggling with sin does not mean you are a sinner, but you just haven't learned how to live in Christ and overcome that sin. I want to just remind you, the way I describe sin is like a punching bag. God allows the devils and, and temptations to be around you so you could get stronger. You can know that now you overcome the sin. It doesn't make sense. So don't, don't ever let the devil confuse you saying that, oh, you sin, so you are not a child of God. No, no, no. You sin. Now you have to learn how to deal with it in, in the faith of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. Anyways, let's focus on what is Paul saying. The first thing that Paul does is this. Before we talk about uh, what he's saying, it's not the first time that Paul said something similar to this, um, that he's the worst of sinners. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, he says, I am the least of the apostles. Then why should we be following me, right? But, he, but there's a point. There's a, there's a common theme in why he says this. Then in Ephesians chapter 3, he said, I am the least of all God's people. Then what gives you the right to be our leader and teach us? How, why, why should we listen to you? You're the least, right? So he sometimes, uh, what, so what we have to understand is Paul is sharing with us not his objective truth. Paul is not actually saying that when you look at my life, I am actually the worst of the apostles. He, he wasn't. He was actually one of the greatest apostles. And he wasn't the least of the, of the people, but this is the way he felt. The question is, Paul, why do you feel like you're the worst of the apostles? Why do you feel like you're the least of all Christians? Why do you feel like you're the worst of sinners? What's wrong with you? No, okay. Here is the problem. He, here is the point of what Paul is saying in this. When Paul says, I am the worst of sinners, this is his honest confession. Again, on the outside and from God's view, from the devil's view, from everyone's view, Paul is not the worst of sinners. In fact, he's impeccable, right? He, he, is, uh, he, he did everything he can to become an example of Jesus. But he still feels like humble. Like he still feels honestly he's the worst of sinners. The first thing is this. Sin itself means that you're missing the mark. What does it mean to be a sinner, first of all? What is sin, right? Sin is missing the mark. God created you for a certain thing. Right? And if you know Genesis, you know exactly why he created you. He created you in the image of God, in the likeness of God. You and I were to be created to be like God. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, I can't believe it. You're just like God. <laughs> it, it is true. I mean, when you see my son, right, you see me and my wife 50-50 in there, okay? He's created in my image. He's my joy. I, I, as a father, want to give him everything. I want, I want him to go further than I could have ever done. And the father God, when he created you, was for joy, was to share his glory with you. Right? Jesus said, Lord, give me the glory so that now as I go to the cross and as I open the door to the kingdom of heaven, let everyone who believes in me have your glory in them. Let them have the love and the joy that I have. I'm here to give you what you've been missing. Okay, but sin means that even though we were created in the image of God, we fell from the glory of God. We're not like him. Before we met Jesus, you are really not like him. And the Bible says we were children of the devil. We were, you know, we were just like, I don't know, disease, right? We're just like horrible things, broken things, dirty things. But God says, mm -mm, in Jesus' name, you are my son. So 
But, it's, but, but being that they're from missing the mark, here's the thing that we have to understand about sin. Sin is not just things that you do wrong. Many times we think we ask the question, if I ask you a question, if John Choi came up here and he asked you the question during, uh, before the announcements, ask your neighbor, ask your neighbor, are you, uh, have you sinned this week? You know what we would automatically think? What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? And then if you're like, oh gosh, this week, I didn't do too many things wrong, you would think, oh, I wasn't a bad sinner, right? Is that how we usually think? We think sin is, you know, a, a, a hit on the wrist. Don't do that. Don't touch that. Don't say that. Don't think that. Don't look at that. Don't be like that. But the truth of missing the mark is it's actually more than just not sinning. It's failing to become like Jesus. Now we realize, oh, maybe I am the worst of sinners. Because if Jesus is the standard, he's the image, and he's the one that now through the blood of Jesus, I can be like him. I can be like Jesus as a husband. I can be like, a, like Jesus as a teacher. I can be like Jesus as a police officer. I can be like Jesus as a president. I can be like Jesus as a friend. I can be like Jesus as a young kid, teenager going into puberty. I can be like Jesus as someone who is broke and trying to make it in society. So think about it this. Sin is, yes, it's things that you did wrong, but it's also failing to do what is right. Sin is also things that you you know you have to do, but you didn't do. So let's say, let's say this. Let's say you come to church. Let's say you come back next Sunday, and all you did this week was just lie on your bed, just sleep all week, and you come to church, and I ask you the question, hey, what kind of sin? Did you sin this week? And you'd be like, no, pastor. I stayed still. I didn't think about anything else. You're a huge sinner. You wasted those seven days that you could have been doing the right thing because think, think about it this. Jesus said it this way. The, the, the law says do not worship idols. The law says, do not commit adultery. The law says, do not lie. But it says, but let me tell you, the law summarizes, love your neighbor as yourself. It means it's about doing. Because Jesus is not in heaven saying, oh, I won't touch sin. I'm not going to do bad things. I'm not going to do drugs. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to sleep around. But in Jesus right now, he's all about what can I do that is good. Amen? So when we fail to do what is good, and we do that all the time. We realize the more and more I think about it, wow, I am such a sinner. Because if Jesus is a standard as the father of a family, as a mother of a family, as a friend, as a coworker, as a boss, as a CEO, taxi driver, as a man. If, imagine if that is a standard, we're so far below. So Paul, the more he got to know Jesus, the more he got to see Jesus, he realized, wow, even though I, I'm doing everything I can, even though I'm doing nothing wrong, even though I'm fighting sin and I am on a good path, wow, he is so much higher and, and better than I ever understood. Because, friends, what Paul is helping us understand is this. He never wants us to be in a place where the devil will get you. This is the way the devil gets to you. Paul here is saying the light of God is helping me to see my sinfulness is like an iceberg, Right? What I can understand is that much, but there's so much more behind. In fact, if the Lord right now showed you all of your sin, you would drop dead. You would be so in despair. You would be like, there's no hope. I just give up. In fact, maybe that's sometimes that's what happens when you feel like your sin, your brokenness, your, your unworthiness, your failures in life. They feel so big that you're like, I just want to end my life. But Jesus says, no, no, no. But I'm here to set you free. I'll teach you how to live a different life. Follow me. But the devil says this, the devil, the way he gets you is, he says, no, 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 you're not that bad. Look at that guy. I mean, that guy stole $10,000. That guy stole $1 million. 
He just took $10. Come on. You're okay. Just calm down. Just pretend nothing happened, right? If, if, if Jesus helps us become humble, honest people, the devil is trying to make you a prideful liar. He makes you think that little sin, that little thought that you had, nah, you got it. You're okay. You don't have to confess. You don't have to go to church. You're doing good. Yeah. Versus what the Lord wants us to do is he, he's helping us see the whole truth of who we are. Because the beautiful thing about this is this. Well, number one, before we say that, remember, Jesus is the one who said that if you think about sin, even if you think, I hate this person, even if you think, wow, I want to sleep with her, even if you think, wow, I am so jealous of this person, just the thinking of you has revealed to you that the same sin of someone actually sleeping with someone, someone actually stealing money, someone actually killing somebody, you've done the sin. There is no hope for you to manage your sin this is the number one lie the devil says to you you can manage it. you can handle it just drink a little 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 just do a little drug just you know manage yourself you know you're okay you're fine you know you, yeah anyway i don't have to say it you already hear the voice of the devil but friends jesus is the one who says no 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 there is no hope you cannot overcome not even the smallest bit of sin in your life but how do we mostly live our life every day we wake up and say I think I'm okay. We're callous. Our hearts become dead. And we're dying in our sin, not knowing Jesus is the only hope that we have. So the more that Jesus uh, speaks to us, the beautiful thing that happens is there is a place where God is allowing us to become free and by becoming unafraid. Think about it this way. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them naked and they were not afraid. There was nothing to hide. Humble, honest people. No shame. No fear. But once they sin, they realize, oh, my gosh, I am a sinner. I am shameful. And they were controlled by fear. So Apostle Paul is not lamenting that he failed. But he is, he is uh, proclaiming the truth that because Jesus is our standard, compared to how amazing he is, I am truly, truly without hope on my own. That's why he says, remain in Christ. That's why he says, now therefore, those who are in Christ, there's no more condemnation. You realize, I don't want to live this life. And Jesus says, you don't have to. He says, come and live in me. Live by faith. Surrender your life to me. Give me, give me control over your life. Invite me into your life. Let me teach you how to be the best father, mother. But the devil says, no, you don't need that. You're okay, right? And we live our lives callous to what the Lord is saying. So we see humble honesty in Paul saying, I'm the worst of sinners because he realizes I really love God and I want to live as he created me in his image. But it is so hard and he is being honest about it. And we also need to be very honest about our sin. In fact, the church has to be the number one place where you can be completely honest. How do I know that I am overcoming sin when I can be honest? In fact, if I struggle with sin, and the sin is my master, I will not be honest about it. But the moment I say, help, I need help. And the moment I confess, the light comes, I have won. The Lord is now able 
by the Spirit to put to death the sin that's in your life. And the beautiful thing is this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. This is the truth that God wants you to understand. Paul was not ashamed of calling himself a sinner. Why? Because everything that he went through, everything he suffered, is the same thing that everyone suffered. The devil doesn't have another trick. It's the same old trick he's been doing over and over, and we, without Christ, are falling into it over and over and over time. It is time that we say, you know what? I'm not ashamed of my sin. I know I'm a sinner, but I know what God has done for me. I know that he is here to replace, to, to put an end to that sin, give me a new life. Remember that life he's given you choice. Do I go back to my sinful life or do I be honest with it and live in the new life? Okay, humble honesty. He's challenging us into that. The second thing he's doing is this. By him saying that he is the worst of sinner at the end of his life, he should have been like, you know what, Timothy, I've done enough. Because he said it, right? At one point, he got so angry at his false prophets. He had a whole a false apostles trying to steal his churches. He, he, he gave the whole list of what he went through. He was flogged 39 times, four times. He almost died in shipwreck. He was sick. He was lonely. He was poor. He was in the cold. He was naked. He was beat. He was everywhere he went. There was a riot. His life was not easy at all. I think by the time you're about to retire, he could have said, you know what, dear Timothy, I've done enough. I'm just going to rest. But no, even to the last moment he died, he was like, God, I'm a worst of sinner. And you know what that means? When you confess that you're that you're, you're, you're an honest sinner, what you're saying is what Paul is saying. And what you need today is this. Paul was saying, I need Jesus more than anyone else. Wouldn't we look at someone like Paul and say, Paul, you've had enough of God. You can just take it easy. No, Paul was saying, no, no, no. More than any person, I am the one who needs Jesus more than anybody else. Isn't that amazing? His hunger for God was relentless because not only because he knew how fallen he is without Christ, but his love for God was so much more powerful. He said, I'm not going to let anyone else out love, love Jesus than me. Because to Paul, he, Jesus was the most worthy and important person. And he realized the truth that Jesus said, if you want to follow me, if you want to be free of sin, and if you want to live as I live and be the best father, mother, uh, whatever, businessman, just change the world kind of person that I called you to be, you're going to have to do it daily. You're going to have to deny yourself once. No, 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 daily. Pick up the cross and follow me. And Paul realized, yeah. I, I may have done something amazing yesterday, but that was yesterday. Today, I'm hungry for God. Today, I need Jesus. Today, the worst of sinners. You know who needs the most grace in the world? Me. You know who needs God so much more? You know who is most desperate and most uh, uh, unworthy of the love of God? Me. And I am pursuing God with everything that I have every day. This hunger for God is something that all of us need to have. In our life, in order for us to make it, in order for us to stand on that day, proud before Jesus, and become one with him and, and all the saints together. See, what is important is this. Paul wasn't saying this. You know what? I'm the worst of sinners. Psh, I give up. Right? That's not what he's saying. Because many of us could be like, I am such a bad sinner. I have no more hope. No, no, no. Paul, knowing he's a sinner, said, and I'm not going to give up. I'm going to continue fighting the fight of faith. Even it means I die, I, I suffer pain, I'm going to get God. Without these two things, it is impossible for us to be a Christian in this world. 
more and more, I think we're living in a time where being a child of God and being a child of devil is going to become black and white. No longer can we, be, and for our good, can we be in the middle ground. Kind of hungry, kind of honest, but really lying, really suffering, really not uh, loving God. We're just filled with the world, earthly things, flesh. Our flesh is so strong. Our sinful nature is so powerful that even though we're resurrecting Christ, who we are in Christ isn't changed. But it's time to undo that. It's time for us to say, you know what? I am not going to be silent. I'm going to get God and nothing will stop me. Is he the most worthy thing in your life? Right? Because we cannot be nonchalant about our sin. We cannot say, yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm not like Christ, but oh well. Just another day. Another day in Hawaii. Hang with you, right? No. It's like Paul is saying, no, 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 as long as I'm alive, <laughs> I need God more than anybody else and nobody's going to get him. And that's why he was able to experience the fullness of God. Because in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, look what he says. Paul says, he says, no, I strike a blow to my body and make it a, my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. In Philippians 2, 12, it says, continue to work out, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul is not one who says, I believe in Jesus, I prayed, and then I received Jesus, so now I'm good. I can just live my life the way I want. No, no, no. It's every day you live with a fear and trembling. Am I ready to meet my Lord? Am I ready to prepare myself? Am I ready to do the work of God? The, the reason why Paul was able to say he's the worst of sinners is because he didn't judge anybody else. The only sinner he knew was himself. And he realized this man needs Jesus more than anybody else in the world. Finally, the third thing. What is Paul saying by saying, I am the worst of sinners? He is saying, I am grateful. Because if you see here in this passage, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul never says, talks about his sin without talking about how amazing God is. Amen. We are a people who are able to fully proclaim my sin. In fact, if you want to know every Sunday all of my sin, I will write it down. But at the same time, I will write on the other side, but then Jesus forgave me. But then Jesus set me free. But then Jesus taught me. But then Jesus freed me. But then Jesus paid for it. But then Jesus loved me. Amen. So that's why Paul, he's saying, when I say I am the worst of sinners, he's saying, man, but I have the best grace for my life. Because he's the one that taught us this truth. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. No matter how deep your iceberg you find, you thought you were okay Christian. And then later you realize as the water's sinking, the, the iceberg is getting bigger and bigger. And you're like freaking out. I am crazy. I am hopeless. But Jesus says, uh-uh. But you don't understand. I'm the one who's the water who's able to carry your entire iceberg and more. So Paul basically is saying, I'm the worst of sinners, but I'm the most loved of all. This is the joy that we can have in our life. We can be completely honest. We can completely know, God, you know what? I'm not going to even try to think that I can defeat sin on my, sin on my own. And therefore, I'm going to live. It says, I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel because the gospel saved a person like me. In fact, I'm going to boast about my weakness. Because every time I boast about my weakness, it says, Jesus' grace becomes more powerful. He becomes more glorified. And then Paul's like, 
And then tomorrow, I'm going to come get you, Jesus, stronger than today. And he says, I'm going to live forever grateful. I can never outthank God. In fact, remember I said the sign of a Christian is you're able to be thankful. How would I know I am following Jesus? I cannot stop but be thankful. The moment I stop following Jesus, I have so much sin to deal with. I have so much pain and, and, and messed up things to de deal with. There's no time to give thanks to God. Life is too short. Today, you have to determine, just like Paul, throughout the entire life, became an example for us, example for Timothy. You have to determine in your own life, is Jesus worthy or not? For Paul, this is what made him live like Christ, is because he found Jesus and realized he's more worthy than my life itself. Just for the ex reasons we already expressed, that he, there was he's the one that said, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things, I consider everything garbage. In fact, some translation says dung, doo-doo, poop, that I may gain Christ. Everything. Because he realized Jesus, he in Christ is everything. In Christ is the life I'm dreaming of. In Christ is the family that I want. In Christ is the wealth that I'm thinking about. In Christ is the health that I want. In Christ is the true paradise that I am dreaming of. And he realized, wow, for knowing Jesus, I can put everything away. I trade it all for Jesus Christ. This is how, this is who Paul was. Worst of sinners. And this is the example. This is perhaps the only way you and I will finish this race and meet Jesus face to face. Determine for yourself how worthy is Jesus in your life. Paul, found, Paul is inviting us to know the surpassing joy of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ in your life. I pray that when you are able to be honest, when you're able to uh, relentlessly love God above all things, when you're able to be grateful for how he loves you, I pray that everything and more that you could ask for or dream of becomes yours when you determine Jesus is worthy in your life. You know, the Bible says when, uh, when the man asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The mind part is something so important. All your mind. Not just on Sunday when the pastor's talking, uh, when the worship music is going, but all your mind. Meaning every day you cannot stop thinking about Jesus. How can I be the best uh, how to student? How can I be the best employee, the CEO? How can I be the best businessman? How can I be the best father and husband? When my mind is consumed with Jesus, because this is a promise that God gives. I wrote it in two different translations. It says this, you will keep, God will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Another translation says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. This is a beautiful secret that Paul realized. His life waking moment. Remember, he was so hungry for God that he, he, nothing in this world could satisfy him. He says, I must have God. And he says, when I was with you, he said, I, I, I resolved to know nothing but Christ crucified. How worthy is Jesus that it would take over all of your mind? And the truth is this. When you, when you have that, it's not like you lose the world. 
all of the world in the right way comes to your mind. How can I be the best student when I'm crazy about Jesus? How can I get the straight A when I'm fixed on Jesus? How can I be the best, I don't know, whatever you want to be when I'm fixed on Jesus? Because in Jesus is a perfect gift. In Jesus, the most important thing is in Jesus you find who you really are. Because why? You were created in his image. Jesus wants you to come back. Jesus wants you to be restored into the very image of Jesus Christ. So friends, this is, what, this is the truth I'll tell you. Your life's worth and your value and the quality of your life is measured only by your knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not measured by how healthy, how handsome, how, what kind of things you have, where you live, what's your income. All of that comes second to knowing Jesus in your life. When you're hungry for him, when you're, when you're living in the freedom of his love and you're grateful for him, and your mind is continued in him, life is good. That's the life God wants to give to you. So praise you can come forward. Um, I want to have you guys think today this question, is Jesus worthy to me? Is he valuable to my life? I want us to today have a mind-cleansing opportunity, a heart-cleansing opportunity, and say, Jesus, everything is second. You are number one. Because of that, I will be the best you fill fill in the blank. Lord, because I love you, because you're most worthy, I will be the best coworker. Whatever strife you're having, right, whatever uh, situation, whatever brokenness you have, you can leave it behind when you say, Lord, you are my number one. I fill my mind with you. Uh, We're going to sing this song. Uh, It's a beautiful song uh, as Justin sings it over. We're going to allow this song to become our prayer this morning uh, as we come to the end of the service. Uh, We're going to have an opportunity to make Jesus worthy, most worthy in your life. Um, This is not something that someone can do for you. It's something that you alone can set apart. Christ is Lord. Uh, And before we do that, I want to just close with this example that Jesus himself said. Remember that one time Jesus was about to go to the cross. He was in the house of a Pharisee, and as they were dining, there was a woman that came in. And from the moment that she saw Jesus, she started weeping. And with her very weeping down, and she was, the tears were so much, because she was the one that the Bible said she had seven demons cast out of her. Uh, She was the one that, you know, her sin was just astronomical. Later sometime, I'm going to talk about the connection between sin and, and demonic powers, how it's like a food. You, the sins in your life that you keep hiding, you're attracting. You're calling for demons to come into your life. But this woman was delivered from seven demons. And then she was crying. And with her tears, she washed the feet of Jesus. And in another passage in Luke, it describes that this woman took her most precious thing, her alabaster jar, which is probably something around 60,000, 70,000, life-saving, something that usually a woman like her, on the day of her wedding, she would sell that to bring a gift to the husband. That thing that was so precious for her future, she broke it, and then she, she, she wiped the feet of Jesus with that most precious thing. You know what's amazing? Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached, her story will be shared. Because that is what salvation is about. That is what being a Christian is about. Jesus is number one. There is no shame anymore. There's no fear for those of you who 
say Jesus the most worthy. Let's sing this song and I'll come back for a response in time. need to hide. Don't need to be ashamed. He already has the answer for your sin. I don't care how strong the demons have made a stronghold. I don't care what kind of curse you have. I don't care what kind of dark powers are operating in your life. It is broken when you are honest to Jesus. And at the same time, as you discover this great depth of sin and brokenness in your life, as deep as it goes, as deep as your darkness can go, may the Lord fill you with a hunger that now that you know you know who you are, may the Lord fill you and may the Lord transform your life into a testimony of gratefulness. That even if because of Jesus your life gets difficult, even because of Jesus, I don't know, you suffer the worst thing, you are so thankful because you know how important, valuable Jesus is. I want to give you an opportunity as we continue singing this song. If Jesus, if you want Jesus to be worthy above all things in your life, I want you to stand up before him. What you're going to do is not an action before anyone to see, but you're saying, Jesus, in my life, 
I want to love you. I want my mind to be fixed on you. I want to be hungry for you. And I want to be thankful for you. I want you to be worthy above all things in your life. And I can guarantee you, your life will change. Because now you are a CEO in Christ. You are a father in Christ. You're no longer that lazy father like Inguan. You're no longer that dysfunctional student like Ingwa. You're no longer that distracted, that, 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 that broken, uh, that weak person like Ingwa is. But when Jesus is worthy in your life and you're hungry for him, he will help his image to become true in your life. So as Justin continues seeing that, just where you are, if you want to live your life in a different way, where you're saying, God, I am the worst of sinners and I need you more than anything else. And most important, worthy, I want you to stand before God and say this song. All the all saints in this room.